Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Brian Doak from Savor, Hattons, and Heights and Co. coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I am awesome. I feel like, I could be wrong, I feel like I've been on the show a lot lately and the fans are loving me because they're telling me. I'm just, I'm just saying. So this is for everyone that's loving me. I'm loving you and I'm happy to be talking to you again, Eric. Well, yes, you were on just a couple of weeks ago for our Ultimate Houston Barbecue Draft. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I haven't really, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but let me just throw it to you real quick. Do you have an opinion about who won, looking back on it two weeks later? <laughs> Glad you asked. Of course I do have an opinion. I felt that, I knew you were going to win. I knew you were going to win. I mean, you got to pick first, okay? Let's just say that. Not because you got to pick first. So I don't want, because you got to pick first, though, then it made a lot of us scramble, right? Um, and go like, okay, I would have picked that first. You, you kind of had to shift. So all the things that you picked, it just kind of took them off my list. I thought you had a great, I thought you had a great place. I, I would have picked half of the ones that you had as my first pick. So I was hating a little bit. So I was like, damn it. But I thought, yeah, I, I thought it was well-deserved. Yeah, I won't be a hater. I thought it was well-deserved. And anybody could have won, right? Because um, it was it's very strategic, right? It's very strategic. It if was. you would have had to pick, if you would have had to pick, like, because you got to pick first, so let me ask you, would you have done it the same way? Well, I think if I were picking where you were at five, Mm-hmm. Right. I know that my my first overall pick of brisket from Truth Barbecue would have been snapped up <laughs> by right. someone else before me. Correct. So then I would have needed I would have needed a different brisket. And then instead of taking the corkscrew pork ribs that I got at the very end of the second round, that was lucky that that that, that kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. I think I would have taken the chili relleno sausage from Tejas, which was Fulmer's second round pick as the second pick in the his he had the second pick in the second round and he took that sausage. So Correct. I think I, I would have taken I don't know whose brisket would have been available to me. I think it would have gone down similarly with both corkscrew and truth off the board. And then, you know, I don't know. I know, you know, Michael took. Michael took Brett's. Uh, all my favorite briskets, to your point, they were off. By the time I got it, I'm like, if I would have taken a brisket, the, the uh, beef rib would have been gone. So I'm like, let me try to be strategic and flip this because all my briskets are gone. Like all my top pick briskets are gone. So let me take a beef rib. And then I just hope because based on corkscrew, right? I hope that the pork possibly would make it back around because someone else was being strategic about 
trying to get the brisket or the ribs. Right. You know, I, I had a theory going in and this is, and we're, and then we're going to move on because this is getting kind of inside baseball. <laughs> I had a theory that there's a lot of really good brisket. Like there's a lot of, there's only a couple of really a plus briskets in my opinion, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of a minus B plus mm-hmm. brisket. Mm-hmm. And so I guess thinking back on it, I would have taken the chili Riano sausage. Cause that's the best sausage in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then I, I would I have agree. taken the corkscrew pork ribs with my second pick again, because that those are the best pork ribs in my opinion. I agree. And then I would have, I would have waited on brisket and just seen like what was left. And then I would have just picked, you know, because there's, there's enough brisket cooked in an offset smoker, right? There's, you know, there's Brett's, there's Pinkerton's, there's pit room. And, and I think for brisket, that's really important, right? Like those rotisserie, the rotisserie briskets, no, just like corkscrew, corkscrew accepted. I just think the 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 offset really cooks brisket nicely. So yeah, between Tejas, Brett's, the pit room, and Pinkertons, I would have taken whatever the best. I would have taken one of those. One of the offset later. briskets, yeah. yeah, yeah, later. Yeah, it was fun. People really, really love it. And so you know what, your birthday draft was, you know. It, it was good. It was very, very good. Good job. Thank you. All right. We'll do another one. We're taking advice from the listeners about what you like. Michael and I did burgers. So that's, we're not going to do that again, but, but we will take advice from people about what they want the next draft to be. Draft to be. Email me, Eric, E-R-I-C at culturemap.com with your suggestion. And then we'll do another one in, in the fall. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll do them. We'll do them like roughly quarterly uh, for the next, you know, the next year or so. We'll 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 just keep kind of knocking them out when we can get when we when we find a good idea that everybody's really excited about and we can get a good group of people together for the draft. So. All right. With that, let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Big news from Bobby Hugel and Justin Yu. First of all, they, you know, they, they have opened Better Luck Tomorrow and Squabble Together. They now, are, they now have a name for that. They're calling it Thoroughfare for their hospitality group, which is separate from uh, what Bobby does with Anvil and Refuge and what Justin does with Theodore Rex. But so Thoroughfare, the company behind Better Luck Tomorrow and Squabble, is also doing the food and beverage at Hotel Lucene a new boutique hotel currently under construction in Galveston. And the first restaurant concept that they are opening at Hotel Lucene is going to be called The Fancy, which they are describing as American fine dining-ish that'll focus on using Texas ingredients with a little bit of French technique, which is, you know, in some ways a lot of what defines what Justin has done at both Oxheart and Theodore Rex. Although, you know, that has more of an Asian influence. It sounds like this is going to be a little bit more traditional sort of, you know, American fine dining with lobster salad and a prime rib, you know, a, a French dip sandwich and, uh, and things like that. So Felice, let me just, let me just throw it to you. What are your kind of expectations for the fancy or, or to be more succinct about it, should it aspire to be the best restaurant in Galveston? 
Okay, let me just start with you fancy, huh? Oh, you fancy, huh? Oh, you fancy, huh? Oh, you fancy, huh? That's the first thing I thought about. So Michael, plug that in some kind of place. <laughs> um, I think that it's um, first of all, you know, I told you about this already. I'm super excited for Galveston. Um, Galveston needs this because of all the things that are going on in Galveston where um, there is a lot of, you know, people trying to get second homes on the island. Um, there is just kind of going through this kind of growth where it's like a little bit fancier. Like whenever I go to Galveston, I think about where I'm going to eat. And I, I think that it's, it's welcome. It's going to be very well received. I was very excited. I was excited for Galveston. I was excited for people that will be visiting Galveston. And you were saying, once you talk to the guys, how stoked they were. I'm like, they should be. Like, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, I had the opportunity. So I, I went to Refuge last weekend and I talked to Bobby just for a little bit. And the thing that he said that from his perspective, they're so excited about is that this this is a new world for them, right? They, they know bars, they know restaurants. You know, I don't, I don't know that everybody remembers, but, you know, Bobby was one of Chris Shepard's business partners when they opened Underbelly and Haymerchant. Right. So he has that, you know, and, and Better Luck Tomorrow obviously kind of, kind of walks that line between bar and restaurant. Squabble obviously is a very accomplished restaurant, but, but they've never done a hotel before. And, and, you know, they have so much to learn about a hotel and, and that side of the business. And, and so, you know, he's really excited about it uh, from that perspective to the extent that he and Justin are actually planning to rent a house in Galveston and they're going to spend most of the next year. Once the hotel opens in Galveston, overseeing this and making sure it gets off to a good start. Oh, wow. That's, that's good. Because also let me add that I think those two guys, can um, do what a lot of folks try to do, and that's make hotel restaurants desirable, sexy, and a destination outside of people staying at the hotel or, you know, you're um, in Galveston for the day and you're like, oh, okay, looking for something somewhere to go. Like you, you desire to go there. You're, I'm going to go to Galveston to go to the fancy. Oh, and then I'll hang out at the beach or do something else as well. I think those guys can do that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, you know, I, admittedly it's been a while since I've been down to Galveston, but you know, I, it's not really a city with a lot of destination restaurants, right? I think about mm -hmm. Rudy and Paco's, which is kind of this South American-y you know, uh, kind of lively, a little more upscale restaurant. And I know that Paco opened a steakhouse a couple of years ago that I haven't had the chance to try. There's number 13, the steakhouse that, that people really love. But, you know, most of it, and, and of course, Guido's, which is such an institution, but, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty casual. It's pretty seafood oriented. And, it, and it, it, it's not really, you know, involved in the sort of current trends of, you know, local ingredients and contemporary preparations and, 
and it's got to look nice for Instagram and, and, and all of these things. And so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what Justin does with this opportunity uh, because, you know, to a certain extent, like he hasn't, you know, he opened T-Rex in 2017 and he's kind of given up, you know, day-to-day control of that menu to Caitlin Steets. And he's obviously involved in the development at, at Better Luck Tomorrow, which is very casual. And, and I'm sure that he and Mark Clayton have some dialogue about what's going on in the menu at Squabble, but, but he hasn't been the chef like the, you know, at, at any of those, you know, he was never the chef at Squabble. And so we haven't seen like, like a, a fresh perspective from Justin Yu in a long time. And, and, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, I was a huge fan of Oxard. I, I think T-Rex is one of the best restaurants in the city. And so I'm excited just to get a, a fresh perspective from someone who, you know, I was thinking about this recently, like I've been eating his food for more than 10 years because I, you know, I remember when he did the, the just August pop-up and the, and the money cat pop-ups and, and that's like that kind of, you know, 2009, 2010 kind of ballpark. And then Oxford opened in 2012 and it was so exciting. Right. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, my, my expectation is, the the fancy will be a destination worthy restaurant that that I could conceivably even though it's kind of far away from you know it's an hour plus from downtown but you know it's if it's like a you know it's like a Friday night or a Saturday night like screw it like let's you know we'll go down to Galveston for a little bit during the day we'll have dinner at the fancy and then we'll come back that night see that that that's what I'm talking about that's what I see it being right exactly what you just laid it out that if anyone can pull that off I think they can. And another thing that you said that was, I think, key to see Justin, like what his grown man, you know, at his big ass age right now, you know, from when he started, what that brain comes up with, right? Like, what, what does that taste like? And, you know, what does that look like on a plate? Yeah. And, and you know, the, and, and I think that making that commitment to being there all the time is going to serve them well, because I, I, I won't claim to know Galveston very well, but I, I will say, I know it well enough to know that they're a little bit skeptical about outsiders coming into the mm-hmm. island. And so, you know, there's that whole, you know, BOI born on the Island thing. That's very important in Galveston. And so they're going to be there and show their, pay their respect to the locals and say, you know, we, we want to get to know you. We want your feedback. Yeah. We want your, we want to see you. We want you to see us. I think that's all to the good. I think that's, that's going to be really essential. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. Cause we've seen many concepts that aren't in hotels that, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, this is pretty good. Right. That we've gone to Galveston for you and I personally, and they don't make it. And I think that is also a key where it's like, you don't belong. You know, the, the, the island, the people on the island didn't feel that it was their spot. So they don't go. So them living on the island and meeting the people and getting to know and getting their feedback, that'll go a long way. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. Louisiana-based Fat Boys Pizza is coming to Houston with 30-inch pizzas that they say it's the world's biggest pizza slice. They're going to open the first one in Richmond at the Grand at Aliana, which is off the Grand Parkway. 
There are also scouting locations in neighborhoods like the Heights and Memorial. Uh, Felice, I know you travel quite a bit, but you're not a big pizza person. So I feel like, have you been to Fat Boy's Pizza? I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess probably not. You are correct. Yes, you are correct. Yes, I travel a lot. No, I've never been to Fat Boy's. And that's just because even if someone said, let's go there, I'm like, really? Where, all where right, all right. So, so, so <laughs> let me just, right. So let me just say, like, what a, what's going to get you in the door to kind of check this place out? Like, because oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pretty good pizza around town. Mm-hmm. What's going to get me in the door is something that was very smart that they're doing. They're opening in suburbia. I live in suburbia. I happen to live out near where they're opening. And my friends love pizza. So, and they live in that where they're opening. So I'm actually going, I'm excited to go there because, you know, I'm like, hey, let's go check this out and get their opinions about um, what they think and all that. So I'm really excited, though, because I think they will kill it. And they're doing a strategy that a lot of people don't do. Um, they're opening in the burbs and then working their way into the city. Right. Yeah. And, and I will say the one other thing that sort of intrigues me is, you know, full bar, which I think is important. I mean, uh-huh. generally, I'm a, I'm a beer with my pizza kind of guy, but I like a cocktail. Daiquiri's by the gallon is one of yes. the ways that they, you know, they'll sell you an individual daiquiri, but, but by the gallon, that, that is the kind of Louisiana let's, you know, that, yeah, I'm, I'm about it. Roulet attitude that I am definitely here for. I'm about it because if I'm there and in, in the burbs, it's going to be, you know, and I love the kids. So please don't come for my next when I say this, I'm probably going to need a gallon of daiquiris when I go check it out without those kids running around and, ah, right. So I, I'm, I'm here for the, the full bar and the gallon of daiquiris. All right. I, I think that, that is a good place to move on to topic number three. Just briefly, Height Social is a new bar from Zach Harris. He's the owner of Drift Bar. It is coming this fall to 20th Street, right next to Drift Bar. And, and just, just to be clear, I know that that's not the Heights. That is Shady Acres. But there's, you know, Shady Acres Social just doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same way that Heights Social does. So they're calling it Heights Social. You know, Felice, I, again, I, I don't know that there's, <laughs> there's terribly much to say here other than that that little stretch of 20th Street has become quite the little party spot between McIntyre's, Wicklow Heights, Cedar Creek, Providence Heights, you know, Presley's, if you want to stretch a little bit, Big Patio Bar. Yep. Uh, the boot, great. The boot, Pope all of that's crawfish. right there. Yeah, all, all of that. Right all that's right there. It's very, I actually was just over there uh, last week and I saw it. And I'm like, oh, what is this? We have another, <laughs> because Heights is in the name, right? <laughs> People are going to be confused, I think. But I'm, I'm excited when I saw it. I was like, ooh, I was very much prepared to say, that do we need another bar in the Heights? Do we need another restaurant in the Heights? I, I'm the person guilty, but that intrigues me. It looks like it's huge and it looks like it's just a place that I wanna be. And the great thing to your point, I can park and just kinda 
bar hop. I can go get crawfish. I can pop back there. I can, you know, just have a good time with my friends if, if I'm bored there. So I think they're going to do well. Oh, no, they're definitely going to do well. <laughs> it's going to fit right in with all the with all the other, you know, fun bar scene that's going on over there. And so, you know, all the success in the world to Height Social, you know, even though I like, even though I'll probably never go there. But yeah, but hey. you know what? It has like a, again, it kind of, I don't even have to say, it's kind of a more, the other ones are not upscale. This, I can, I feel like it's a little bit more bougie. Yeah. And I like, I like yeah. bougie. No. The martini cocktail menu <laughs> is your is your indication yes. that it's going to be a little bougie. Yeah, it's a little bit more bougie. I, I like that. I, I like that about it. So I welcome it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is sponsored by Green Street. Covering four city blocks in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street offers access to dining, entertainment, and more. Green Street is an ideal location for dinner and drinks before or after attending a game downtown at one of its four restaurants, Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or M&S Seafood. Its proximity to Discovery Green also means Green Street is an ideal stop as part of a larger crawl through downtown's many attractions. Over the years, I've seen any number of concerts at House of Blues, but Green Street has other entertainment options as well. Pete's Dueling Piano Bar offers an energetic atmosphere for grabbing a drink, and friends can gather for a night of friendly competition at 810 Billiards and Bowling. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of restaurant, bar, and entertainment destinations. Police for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Uchiko. This is the new sister restaurant to Uchi that is opening on Post Oak Boulevard in the new building that houses Zadok Jewelers. Uchiko is a little bit different than Uchi. It's a little, it has a live fire grill. So, you know, it's, it's a little smokier. It's a, it's a little, they call it kind of the farmhouse. So it's a little more casual. We went to a media dinner where they tasted through a whole bunch of stuff on the menu, including nigiri, including dry-aged duck and steak and, and all these other things. So, Felice, let me just throw it to you. I mean, what were your kind of first impressions? First of all, have you, have you ever been to Uchiko in Austin? And, and what were your first impressions of the, the Houston Uchiko when you walked in the door? Oh, good question. Um... Yes, I have been. And one of the things, and you know, I think that one, it's been a long time since I've gone to that, the Ujiko in Austin. But um, the first thing that I thought just driving up, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, it's nice because everything's shiny and new. It's a new building, all of that. Um, there was hustle and bustle going on because they were kind of doing a friend's family soft opening thing. And one of the first questions that I want, you know, they, they talked to, they talked to us and gave us, you know, their spiel and we could ask questions. One of the first questions I wanted to know was, um, where do they think it is from when they first opened Uchiko to now? Like, how does this differ and fit into the, 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 um, organization? 
And, um, you know, they, they kind of talked about it is the sister, um, you know, early on. And I think folks that went there, I think the first thing when I went originally, when it opened back in the day, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't get it. It, it seems like, it seems like um, Uchi to me. I didn't, even when I was talking, I remember asking what makes it different. And I think someone at the restaurant may have um, rattled off some things where I'm like, that's just a script. I, the, the food wasn't different, right? And um, so when I asked the question, they, they were able to say like, I think we've matured. We've been able to kind of figure out where we fit in the scheme of things and have distinguished ourselves. And once I tasted the food, we'll go get into that in a minute. But when I tasted the food and thought about what they said, I thought about the Brady Bunch. I thought about, you know, Marsha and Jan, right? And that famous episode where people, Jan's always saying, Marsha, 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 right? And I think that Uchiko is, you know, has grown up and is standing on its own legs. And, you know, she is uh, one of, she's the pretty sister now, like she can hold her own, right? With the smokiness, um, I totally know the difference between the two. Full bar, um, the food, I would go to both. It tastes, I get two, two different things, two different sisters. So that's what I would say. That was my long answer for, that's what I think. I think that it it's not the same and it's not even the same as the one in Austin. No, no. I, I think that's a really, <laughs> I think that's a really important point. Like just, just to circle back the sort of the brief explanation that we got for the original Uchiko when we were at that media dinner last week is that they just had so much talent at the Uchi kitchen that they like, they couldn't keep everybody happy. So they opened a second restaurant. And of course, Uchiko is the restaurant where Paul Kui won his, James Beard Award, right? Mm -hmm. After being yeah. on Top Chef Texas, you know, after after winning Top Chef Texas, mm -hmm. you know, Uchiko is, and then for everything else that he's gone on to do, that's that's where he got his Beard Award. So, you know, it, it makes a certain amount of sense that that was the situation. Then now, you know, high hospitality is growing. They've opened Uchis in Houston, Dallas, Denver, Miami. They're working on one out in LA. And so they're... You know, everywhere there's an Uchi, essentially, there could also be an Uchiko, starting with Houston, which, of course, is the second place they opened an Uchi 10 years ago. And so the Uchiko in Houston is kind of going to be a template for future Uchikos as they start, you know, slowly, deliberately, thoughtfully rolling them out to these other cities where there's already an Uchi. But, but I think, you know, my, my thought is that, that Uchi, like for all of the, the composed plates built around raw dishes and, and you know, every, everything that people love about Uchi, it, it's, it's always left me just a little bit cold. It's just never, it's just never been my spot. I know, I know people love it. I respect it. It's, it's very popular to this day. It's just never quite felt like my kind of place. Mm, okay. And so Uchiko, right, where I could get that, where, where it's a little meatier, a little heartier, just a little bit more casual, you know, where I can get steak with foie gras au poivre and 
uh, French fries, you know, where I could get that dry aged duck with the grilled cabbage mm. and still get nigiri, right? Still get a really great piece of, of chutoro that's, that's nicely seasoned with their rice, you know, still get, you know, hamachil, hamachili or, or some of the other signature uchi dishes. That's very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. That feels like a better balance. And it, and it mimics the way that I eat at Katarabata, right? Where I, I want to hit the specials. I want to get the cool nigiri, but I also want Iberico shumai and Wagyu beef skewers off the robata. And, you know, it, in the right company, maybe, you know, maybe lobster mac and cheese. And, and, I, and, and that kind of stuff, is there, there's no really equivalent of that at Uchi. And Uchi code, I think, is a better balance between like traditional sushi or their, you know, their expression of sushi and not sushi, right? Because I want Yeah, that. I think you said it very well. How, yes, that's, that's it. That, that's what it looks like from a meal perspective. Yes, I can get right, the traditional, it, whatever their signature or whatever they're doing as the sushi, and then I can get the other things too. And you named pretty much all my favorite dishes of the night. My only thing you missed was the... Um, the hearth roasted oysters, their take um, on the ro- oysters Rockefeller. Ugh. So divine. <laughs> so yeah, divine. Yeah, that was that was that was very tasty. You know, what was the other one? Oh, the oh the the uh, short ribs, 72 hour. I'm trying, yeah, I couldn't they did, find they it did, on the menu though. I couldn't find it on no, the they menu. Did, they did they did two pieces of nigiri that came off the grill. Right, mm-hmm. that seventy-two hour uh, short rib that then they they just teed up on the grill, and then the king trumpet mushroom that they glaze with something that gives it a little extra. Mm-hmm. Not that mushrooms don't have umami, but but you know they they have that punch, and and I just thought that was uh, that was so flavorful. It was so and, flavorful, very smart. And, and then and then the one other thing I just want to mention briefly. Uh, well, I'll let you talk about the cocktails, but but I will say the, the one other thing is they do that s'mores dessert and it comes out as this chocolate cake with this sort of meringue looking topping. And then they they hit it. They press hot binchotan charcoal on the meringue to cook it, to caramelize it. And so you get that burnt marshmallow aroma, flavor, texture. And it's so good. And I love a table side. I love a table side touch. And it's so smart and so fun. And I, you know, that alone, I would, I would go back to Uchiko just for 72 hour short rib nigiri, dry aged duck, and the s'mores dessert. I, I would agree. And, you know, I'm not, I don't do chocolate like that. Like I'm kind of, eh. um, one of the things that was, a, I guess, a highlight for me with the desserts that, you know, they were more savory. And when I say savory, they just weren't as sweet. Um, even that s'mores dish, you know, the chocolate was uh, done very, very, um, very nicely. It was creamy. Um, and I know I found myself going back to eat. Usually I'm like, okay, yeah, this is good for a chocolate dish, right? But that was, I'm like, oh, I would eat, I would eat all these desserts. And the um, the cocktails paired very um, nicely with um, the dish. And I will say that 
if I couldn't have had a cocktail, and I thought about this, um, I'm like, okay, so take Uchi where I can't get cocktails, would I have been disappointed? And between all the dishes we had, if they said we don't have cocktails, I wouldn't have been disappointed. So the cocktails are just, they just kind of add that little punch that you need. It's a complete package, it's a complete package. Um, even from the lightest of a few light cocktails um, to the more boozy, but the, the more boozy, it's, it's very, if you think about Uchi, what they do with their food, um, it, it just kind of works. They're, um, the booze, booze forward ones aren't going to be like, like their take on an old fashioned was still very, um, what would you say? How would you describe it? I can't think of a way. It, it, it reminds well, me of a You know, sometimes they tend to be a little bit sweet, um, which I don't necessarily mind. Yeah. But you know, very balanced, still, still spirit forward, still obviously boozy, but yeah, I, I think the cocktails are as thoughtful as everything else that they do. Right. And that, and that makes sense to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. I'm looking forward to going back with my friends and just having a good night out. It's a great Absolutely. day. You probably wouldn't agree, but I, fellas, listen to me. Okay. If you can get a reservation, that's number one. So you're already going to win if you score a reservation, okay, for your date night. But it's a very sexy date night place, and you will get, like, like extra points all the way around. Listen, don't listen to Eric. Don't wait for the, like, date number 10 and all that. Go date night. You're in there. You're in. You want to impress? Take her there. Right. This is this is a fundamental disagreement that you and I, I, I do not splurge like because this is going to be realistically, I think you're going to spend between 200 and 250 dollars per couple on dinner at Ichiko. And I, I tend to hold off until that's not a first date for me. That's a little too much for a first date. Well, not me necessarily say first date. I mean, now if you're balling, first date, uh, if you oh, want to no, if you're, if you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you want to impress, it will definitely date, impress. Yeah, I mean, my but thir- second or third date, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. No, I just yeah, I I right. I just want to know that that because we're going to be there for a couple hours. I just want to be sure that there's a there's enough rapport and that it's it's to be to justify what is undeniably a bit of a splurge for most people. Correct. But then now I will say, you take me down the first date. There's not going to be any awkwardness, okay? Um, we it will not be awkward at all. We will make that work, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, Felice, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was fun. I'll see you next time. All right. And I will be right back with Brian Doak. I am joined this week by Brian Doak, is the operating partner for the Heights-based restaurant group behind Savor, Patton's, and newly opened Heights & Co. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great. I appreciate me having me and excited to be here. 
Well, thanks for doing this. You know, I've, I've known you, I feel like for a few years now, you know, certainly in the, in the run-up to Savor and, and you, you did some consulting at some, some places that I did some reporting on, but, but take me all the way back to the beginning. How did you, how did you get started in the hospitality business? So it's actually kind of uh, one of those didn't really mean to is the honest answer. Um, I was studying engineering um, and I think, you know, and you know, a lot of the people that know me know part of my hospitality career started at tiny boxwoods and my brother was the founding chef at tiny boxwoods. And he was like, Hey, like, you know, you're smart. We're brothers. We can work together. Like, why don't you come help me out? And I was like, mm, no, I've never done anything restaurants. So I think I'm good. And then through, you know, more conversation and more convincing and talking, I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in and start helping. And that was kind of the initial starting point for me in hospitality was kind of getting into it by accident. And then very quickly just realizing how much I thoroughly enjoyed it and loved everything about it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I do know that that's part of your background, but, but maybe just talk a little bit more about kind of, you know, how you evolved at tiny boxwoods and, and kind of what your, your role was there. Absolutely. So Tiny's was kind of, you know, to use sort of a, I guess, familiar term, kind of a grassroots type of project where it started very small um, with the goal of kind of slowly expanding its footprint of hours of operations. And then it really just turned into something that turned into a sprint very quickly because it just got so busy, it got popular. It's a very small building if you've never been there. So logistically it was, you know, fun, but it was definitely a challenge. And I think from a experience standpoint, doing something that was so small and like on a footprint scale that also got so busy. And then very quickly, the idea was to open a second one, which was Tiny's number five in West U. Um, it was really just a fantastic experience. And, you know, you learn a lot when you're growing at a rapid rate like that. Uh, and the fun and the excitement and the learning part of, you know, scaling a business on its own so quickly, but then growing into a multi-unit operation very quickly was just a great experience overall with the team, the people, the businesses, and, and of course, just kind of that learning experience as my first part of hospitality, you know, jumped in pretty quick. Well, and, and, you know, it's, it's such an incredible success story because, you know, you're right, like clearly, you know, your brother and, and his partners like didn't anticipate that it was going to be the success that it was, or they, they probably wouldn't have opened it, you know, in a plant store. <laughs> you know, like, like not on a main, not on a main street, not, not visible from a main street, like, but, but close to river Oaks and, and very much like speaking to that community, but, but, you know, you know, you're sharing a parking lot with the, with people that are buying, you know, shrubbery and, uh, and flowers and, and, and everything else. But, but it just, you know, I, I remember like I had never heard of it. And then all of a sudden everybody like couldn't shut up about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful place. And I think that's part of, I mean, there's many, many things that are so great about, you know, the entire company, let alone the original tiny boxwoods. But part of the charm is that, you know, it is this kind of unassuming little building from the outside. They didn't have signage up forever. It, you know, shared part of the property and the parking with a nursery. But I mean, you couldn't, I don't think plan anything to be more charming and more unique than this little small footprint building that was, it was honestly started as coffee and pastries only in the morning. If you can imagine that now, you know, almost 15 years later, and then it just continued to grow and escalate as far as, okay, at lunch, okay, at dinner, at wine. And it just, you know, it just kept growing and growing, but 
you know, that's part of that uniqueness and, you know, the charm that is Tiny Boxwoods is that it evolved in, you know, a really unique space, but, you know, kind of in that very grassroots and, you know, take it as it goes, so to speak, over those first few years. You know, and again, I mean that, you know, build, build your reputation on an, on a really incredible chocolate chip cookie. I mean, there's, there's worse ways to kind of establish your <laughs> reputation. True. 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 I still get people to this day asking me at Savoir if I'll make them the cookie or if I'll give them the recipe or something. And it's just like, no, no can do. Sorry. But you know, they've got a bunch of the milk and cookies now that they've been opening and it's just a fantastic outlet for a fantastic product and a really fun overall. Just people love tinies. It's great. Absolutely. All right. So, so when did you kind of come to the realization that, that it was time to, to go out on your own and, and find a new project? Yeah, that was definitely one of the, the hardest decisions I've ever probably had to make professionally. And certainly as an adult was, you know, something I love so much, which was Tiny's and been very, very involved in <clears throat> every aspect of building that business with the partners, with Chef being obviously my brother, the teams that we had. And really for me, it was just kind of that, that the next evolution of, you know, the next challenges I want to partake in are going to be something that, you know, I can do multiple types of projects, whether that's taking a second generation space or finding a warehouse type space, like what we got with Savoir and essentially doing it from the ground up, although there was a building here. And really it was just kind of that next challenge. I'm a, a busy body type of guy. I like to be busy. I like to work. I love hospitality and everything around it. And so for me, it was just okay, to make, take that next step, it was you know doing multiple projects, but also doing multiple types of projects. Um, I never started Savoir with the, you know, single intent of opening four or five of them. I wouldn't, I'm not saying I won't open a couple more of them, but that was never the only goal of, well, I'll open one restaurant and then, you know, do four or five of the exact same ones. For me, I really love the process uh, of finding spaces or buildings or neighborhood and really seeing from a context standpoint, what the building would work for, what part of the city we're in, and really kind of exploring what that project could be. And so for me, the best way to do that was to go out on my own and start the process of looking for opportunities and spaces and, you know, the wonderful city Houston, all the different types of buildings and the no zoning. And there's just a lot of really great opportunity. And so for me, it was, okay, it's time to go ahead and take that step. Yeah. I, I guess that, that leads us to sort of, um, I mean, that leads us to Savoir or Savoir or, or how do you say it? So, so that we're saying it the same <laughs> way. Savoir. Okay. So, you know, because it, it was this kind of anonymous looking warehouse space <laughs> in, in a great location, right? Yes. At the corner of Yale and 14th, right in the heart of the Heights. But, but how, did you, how did you sort of find that building and, and maybe just sort of talk about the, the vision uh, for Savoir when you, when you started when you started developing that project? So Savoir so was definitely something where I, there was a, a couple of neighborhoods that we, I was really looking in heavily. It's like, okay, like would love to open in certain neighborhoods, depending on location and size of the building, et cetera. The Heights was at the top of that list. I mean, I think the Heights has been growing at an absurd rate over the last, you know, five, seven, eight, ten 10 years. And we were kind of caught up in that as like a neighborhood that we would love to be in. Um, part of the inspiration was also part of what I really had an inkling that I wanted to do something in the Heights that was the Heights is wonderful in a capacity that it's a very casual, easygoing neighborhood. But at the same time, there's a great 
you know, audience within the neighborhood, you know, right in the Heights and in the surrounding areas that, you know, they like nicer offerings or finer wine or craft cocktails or just the appreciation for quality and a good experience overall. And I thought that the Heights really embodied that balance between kind of a casual every day, every week type of spot, but also like, you know, you'll get someone that comes in wanting a little bit more of an elevated experience at the end of the day. Um, and we got really lucky with finding this building and it was, it was a, an old warehouse that was really used as storage for 15 odd years and probably honestly would have been easier had it just been a patch of dirt rather than an older building, but just the charm of this old warehousey building, it was just fantastic. Absolutely loved the building. Um, it was honestly a struggle to be able to get the deal done for the space. And we were very fortunate to be able to do that through just a great relationship with our team, working with the gentleman who had it prior. And from there, it was really something where we could kind of craft a very specific experience on a neighborhood type of approachability while being able to put touches of, you know, in within the space is of course on the menus as well that, you know, bring a little bit more of an elevated experience at times. Um, and that was a big part of the goal. Right. I, you know, I think of it as, you know, you, you had a vision for it as sort of not, not Italian, but sort of Italian influence, right? You do maybe a pizza or two, a lot of breads, pastas, and then sort of heartier entrees. Is that sort of still the vision or, or how do you sort of, when people are like, well, what kind of restaurant is it? How do you describe it? Yeah, it's a, a great question that we talked a lot about in the early days and, and being a part of the neighborhood. And I think a lot of restaurants these days, you kind of just get the general coin of like modern American with European, you know, components or techniques. And, and we sort of have kind of dubbed the, the food, if you will, being, you know, there's definitely a lot of French technique in the basis of what we do. There's most certainly some Italian influence on the pizza, the pastas, things like that, and some of the, some of the rustic components. And then Chef has a certain, of course, love for just those Southern influences. So for us, it's kind of a modern American cuisine that has European components and, and techniques with, of course, incorporating some of that Southern influence, whether it's, you know, seasonings or spicings or just things that we just love here in the South. And then, well, you mentioned Chef, and, and I guess this is a good time. I was going to ask you about, you know, you're, you're working with Eric Johnson, who's bounced around. Well, I... I don't, that, that sounds pejorative. He's worked a lot of places. He, he started in Austin. He's been in Houston for a few years. You know, he, he wasn't the, the chef that you opened the restaurant with, but he has been with you for a while now. And so what's it like kind of working with him and, and what does he, what does he bring to the table? Because obviously you've now done both Patton's and Heights and Co in collaboration with him. And, and I'll want to talk about both of those in a minute, but, but what's it like kind of working with him and, and how's that relationship evolved for you? Oh, it's honestly, it's fantastic. First and foremost, he's a, he's a great guy. I mean, he really is just such a good guy and a good human. And then he's got, you know, 20 years of experience in kitchen, starting at a young age, working his way through kitchens, top to bottom, lots of types of experiences. And at the end of the day, having both, you know, him on the culinary side and then Evan Haynes kind of overseeing the actual business side of the operation. For me, it's, you know, a very fortunate component to have two really great guys but also very serious professionals that are excellent at what they do makes it a lot easier to be able to do a couple different projects, especially back to back to back with chef specifically. It's actually kind of funny how we ended up working together because we were introduced via a text message through a mutual colleague, probably, I don't even know, eight, 
maybe nine months prior to Savoir really being close to getting open. And we exchanged a couple of text messages. We couldn't connect. We just kept missing each other. And then he finally just said, hey, you know, I'm kind of knee deep in helping opening a restaurant right now. I really don't want to leave these guys hanging. So I'm going to kind of take my name out of interviewing processes over the next month or so, you know, wish you the best of luck, hope to come by and see the space when it's open. So we moved on in the process, ended up hiring a chef a few months later. And then as we kept moving forward, Evan and myself with the team and staffing and building, we started working towards bringing in, you know, an AGM for Evan, a sous chef for the, the, the original chef that we had. And then somehow Eric and I got linked in text message again. Neither one of us quite realized who it was, but we both had each other's numbers. And we're like, did we meet before? I'm like, oh, we almost met six months ago for you to interview for the exec chef job. And he joined the team as our sous chef because he was so excited about the project. And so he actually came on board probably six months before we opened Savoir in a sous chef capacity because he was just really excited about Savoir, the menu, the style of what we were doing. And he knew that, you know, I had the intention of opening multiple projects over the coming year. So he knew there'd absolutely be, you know, some growth opportunity and upward mobility for him to be able to get into a kitchen and, or of course the Savoir kitchen and really make it his own. So it kind of went full circle where we missed each other. Then we ended up getting connected again he joined the team and then now he's been running the kitchens for a couple of years now and, and doing a great job. No, a- absolutely. And and let me just ask you one more, one more thing about Savor is, is, you know, I know that you have a real passion for wine and that that was a real focus of kind of putting that place together. You know, when it opened, you had the, the wine shop, you know, changes in the law, changes in the, in the laws about what restaurants can and can't sell to the public have obviously made that, made that, concept sort of irrelevant, but maybe just elaborate on the wine program a little bit and, and kind of what it, what role that kind of plays for you. Cause I, I know it's a, it's an important focus. Oh, absolutely. So we, we always, with every program that we do, whether it's food or any part of the beverage with coffee, cocktails, service, et cetera, we always want to make sure to really focus on the one that we're talking about at that moment and give it our full attention. We always knew, though, that we wanted to have a really big wine presence. Uh, Houston, in general, has a massive wine community that ranges very, very broadly on price points and styles of wine and home sellers and things like that. And the Heights didn't really have uh, a massive wine program type of a restaurant. About a year before we opened, the Heights had just barely changed the county laws, so to speak, up here of not being a dry county. You had to previously you had to have a membership license in order to sell any sort of alcohol which really took, you know, the retail component out of the neighborhood. And I think it just kind of kept it on a smaller scale as the Heights was growing. So for us, we wanted to have a really big wine presence, both at Savoir, but also at the wine bar and wine retail shop that we originally had opened next door to Savoir, which we did since close because of those alcohol license you mentioned. It didn't really make a ton of sense for us to have a a separate alcohol license with a retail component when Savoir can now legally sell retail essentially as well, just like everybody can now. And so the wine focus was kind of twofold for us, having a wine bar with a retail component right next door as a separate business. And then for Savoir as a restaurant to have the largest wine program offering uh, when we open in the Heights in general, which is a, a wonderful wine drinking crowd in and around the Heights and in Houston. And that was always a big focus for us. And to this day, we still have 
I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's definitely one of the biggest in the Heights for sure. There's definitely been a lot of new restaurants and things that have opened over the handful of years that we've been up here, but we definitely have one of the larger wine programs and offerings in the Heights area still. Right. So the, the space, you know, you opened, you opened as a wine shop and then in the pandemic, when there were no bars, you, you transitioned into a cocktail bar. Uh, and now it's Patton's, which is this kind of very classic American steakhouse. Why, why a steakhouse? Why, why did that seem like the right use for that, that space? So there was a couple of really great just kind of opportunity components. Uh, one being kind of a simple business component was there's not really a steakhouse in the Heights. I think you actually pointed it out in some of your writings and very you know on point saying, you know, there are places that serve steak in the Heights. There's not anywhere that's a dedicated like classic steakhouse fair with the ambiance and the atmosphere to go along with it. And our team recognized that saying, hey, you know, there isn't really a steakhouse in the heights at the end of the day. So we love the idea just from an opportunity to bring something to the neighborhood that wasn't really readily available. And the other part of it was internally, we just love the idea and sort of the challenge of opening a second restaurant under the same roof as Savoir, but doing it completely different, no menu overlap, different aesthetic, everything about it being its own. And so we really liked the idea of just challenging ourselves while at the same time, offering something that didn't exist in the Heights and kind of the uniqueness part of it just so happened to be kind of that speakeasy style component where you enter through the cellar of Savoir. That was honestly just kind of an added bonus that really enhanced from the get-go the experience that we can offer at Patton's, which we've loved since opening a few months ago. Well, yeah. So let me just ask you straight up. I mean, how's it going? Because I, I will say, you know, we talked about uh, Patton's on the show a while back. I, I had a really great meal there, recognizing that you had a lot of media in the house that night, and and it was uh, probably a little bit stressful. But but every plate probably got fussed over. But uh, <laughs> but, but but how's it how's it been going for you? Honestly, it's been great. Um, it's been something where the team has really enjoyed it. Chef has done a wonderful job in the kitchen to really make sure just what we're bringing in from a quality of beef and the offerings is fantastic. Evan and the, the front of house team have really done a great job of making sure that the service and the ambiance and what we're putting forth on that hospitality side is a really great experience. And overall, I mean, of course, no restaurant's perfect at the end of the day, but overall, we get a lot of great reviews from just internal guests, neighborhood guests, guests that we know from other restaurants and just our times collectively in and around restaurants overall. Overall, people really love it. And the, the uniqueness of the atmosphere and the speakeasy entrance has honestly made it something where people kind of have a really fun experience while kind of being able to reminisce over sort of a classic steakhouse fair. At the end of the day, we're not doing anything that's, you know, unrecognizable to a steakhouse menu where it's, you know, mixing different styles or different cuisines. It's kind of nostalgic in a way, but in an atmosphere that honestly, there's nothing like it. So people really enjoyed it. And we've had a fun time doing it so far. And you know, might expand it a little bit here in the coming future. No, I, I think that's very well said. And I, and I think you've really nailed it because most, most of the, like the really classic steakhouses are physically just very large restaurants, you know, 200 yes. or more, 200 or more seats. And if you want that, that more intimate atmosphere of like a, you know, a chef driven restaurant, you know, they, you, you can't get the classic, you know, seared steak, mashed potatoes, crab cake, wedge salad, you know, all, all the things. 
And so you, you kind of split the baby. Well, you know, you kind of combined them. And so you get that really intimate atmosphere with the really classic menu. And, you know, I think about, you know, Gatsby's and Montrose is kind of doing that too. And and that's been a huge success. And, and I, you know, this is something I've talked about quite a bit, but I, I do think people want that more personal experience of an intimate restaurant when they're spending the kind of money that they spend at a steakhouse. Absolutely. I think there's definitely something too, especially here in Houston, having these, you know, large scale steakhouses that have two, three, 400 seats. And there's, you know, that is definitely a, a steakhouse type of experience that a lot of people enjoy and expect. But I think that for us trying to always kind of merge the best of two different components that we really like, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And, and you just said it is, it is an intimate, really fun, unique experience, but there's sort of a nostalgia when you look at the menu and there's an ease when it's like, oh, I love all these types of items and this is what I want out of a classic steakhouse, you know, offering, so to speak. So it's been a really fun operation and restaurant and, you know, the guests, especially like our neighborhood guests that we know super well and they've come to Savoir for years, have really enjoyed it and they've given us a lot of candid feedback on what they like and how they were excited about it. And overall, people have just really liked both the experience, just from an atmosphere, ambiance, hospitality and service, and then from the actual execution of the food, the cocktails, the wine, we, we've really enjoyed it. And so have all of our guests so far. All right. What is what is the one consistent piece of feedback you've gotten from from your customers? What's the what's the one thing you've maybe changed since you opened based on that, based on the response? I mean, we haven't changed a ton of the actual menu per se, something that we were kind of, we knew would be kind of a question and something we would navigate as we grew into the space was people's understanding of it being within another restaurant, essentially. Obviously that's a unique experience, but it also could potentially be a little confusing if people are not sure of, oh, well, I looked at the Savoir menu, but I'm dining at Patton's this evening. Can I order, you know, the Bolognese or Chef's Black? Well, you know, explaining it between the menus was something that we knew would be a question um, because we got kind of a sneak peek at that when we actually had it as a little speakeasy cocktail bar and we did a separate bar bites menu people really had to also order off of the savoir menu so that was probably one of the things that we got the most feedback and or questions off of um, and navigating that was probably priority number one in the early days of opening patents was making sure that we were trying to educate our guests brand the space in and of itself both on resi and its online platform and really curating its own actual brand and atmosphere and experience top to bottom to try to make sure that that confusion, if there was any at all, was mitigated as much as possible. So, so just to, just to put a pin on that, can you get a Savar, Savar uh, dish at Patton's or, or a Patton steak at Savar? No. So from a food standpoint, we've separated our kitchens. And so we, we truly are having two independent kitchen operations to be able to execute both restaurants at a high level and consistently um, <clears throat> where we definitely try to make the uh, accommodating possibility is going to be like on the cocktails and of course on wine, things like that. But the menu selection itself, we do keep separate between the two restaurants. All right. So, so then let's move on to, to Heights and Co. This is your new patio bar that you just opened across the street. Again, sort of how did that opportunity present itself and, and how did you develop that concept? So the opportunity was, you know, to be very simple about it, was just very fortunate given that 
we were right across the street from the space already every day. I mean, I'm in and around Savoir and Patton's with our teams on a daily basis working with the team. And so being able to, you know, drive up and down the same streets or of course see right across the street and see a business over there, it, it kind of was just an easy, I guess, just opportunity from our standpoint, from uh, just being located across the street. And when the space was getting close to potentially being available, you know, we have great relationships with all of our neighbors and we had great relationships with the guys that were over there previously at Taco. And he and I were talking one day and he said, hey, you know, it's, you know, it's been kind of a rough year or so for us with the timing of opening this space. And, you know, we've got a good relationship with you. Would you be interested in the space? Uh, he asked me flat out, essentially. Um, and from my standpoint, I'm always interested in, you know, great and fun opportunities, especially to add to, you know, the neighborhood where we're at now and or just in Houston general. And so it kind of was a quick process of meeting with those guys and, and walking through it. And then from there, internalizing and talking about it with some of our team, just saying, hey, like, you know, this space just screams patio cocktail bar in the Heights. It, it has a kitchen, which is fantastic because I've always wanted to make sure that food is incorporated into a bar because I've always had the intent of doing a, a bar or a couple of them. But having the food component there and having that culinary background with the restaurants, you know, that obviously goes a long way. And then with what we do on the front of house side, cocktails and wine wise specific, it was just an easy thing for us to be like, wow, we can do a really great cocktail bar with a big patio presence. And honestly, it was to us, it was a very simple decision of like, yeah, we know exactly what to put here and talking to chef and talking with Evan, obviously with me thinking a lot about it. And it was just honestly a no brainer. Houstonians love a patio. They really do. And even if it's hot as humid as it can be, we all just love a patio, especially when the weather's nice. And so for us to be able to offer sort of that laid back casual neighborhood cocktail bar, but being able to do it with a high level of, you know, quality of the cocktails, the wine, and of course the food part was just for us a fantastic opportunity. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, certainly there's, you know, a ton of different sort of patio bars, you know, some with pretty ambitious food programs. How do you, how do you sort of conceive that or, or, you know, looking, looking at that amount of competition, like what, what are the things you did to kind of set yourself apart? So from our standpoint, I think there's, especially if you're talking in the Heights specifically, but then in Houston, there's definitely, I think a lot of bars that some are trying to make sure their food is super unique. Some are doing like heavy, heavy bar food. And there's honestly a lot of mix in between for us. We really wanted it to be something where it felt very approachable, very neighborhoody, and kind of in our terms, kind of just that easy go-to of like, oh, I can always eat queso, I can always eat fries, I can always eat a burger, and kind of just that go-to list of items that it's not fussy, it's not complicated, making it to where it's just so easy to be able to enjoy quality food. Then there's, of course, a couple things on there that are maybe, we'll say, a little bit elevated from like a bar food specific, where chef is like, man, I got to do a burger that's fun, and the schnitzel that he does is honestly just ridiculously good. I absolutely love that dish. And he honestly had to convince me a little bit in years. Like, we got to do a schnitzel. Like, really? For bar food? That's what you want to do? And, and then when I taste it, it's like, okay, you're right. It's it's fantastic. And so for us, it was trying to be true to just kind of what we enjoy, what we wanted to put out from an offering standpoint and not getting too caught up in what other people are doing and more so just sticking to what we enjoy, what our team really likes to do and what we feel we're good at at the end of the day. Well, well. First of all, let me just affirm that that I did try that schnitzel uh, <laughs> last weekend, and it is fantastic. It, it's such a, 
first of all, it's extremely crispy, which is what a good schnitzel should be. It's just kind of a fun alternative to chicken fried chicken, yep. right? Like it, it, so it, it sort of functions really well in that role. And, and the Bordelais burger is just like a, a gooey mess. And, and I mean that is in the best possible way. Um, but, but again, I mean, sort of how's that going and, and what's the feedback been like and, and how would you like to see Heights and Co. evolve over the next few months? No, absolutely. So, so far it's been great. Um, we had definitely a lot of invitations and friends and family and, you know, media such as yourself that have come in. And then we've had a ton of our neighborhood, you know, literally right across the street neighbors and clientele that are familiar with Savoir come by and they've all been very complimentary. They said, oh, this is such a great addition to be so close to walk and bike and just to have that neighborhood spot. Cause there's a lot of those in and around the Heights, but there's a little bit of a gap uh, on Yale, so to speak, where we are, that if you go south, there's a handful of spots. If you go north of us, there's a handful of spots, but there's not really too much for the neighborhood audience. It's literally right across the street or behind us. So it's great from that regard. And we've had a lot of great feedback on just the space, the big pergola that people enjoy sitting outside. And of course, the cocktails and the food, as far as where we want to be going with that space and kind of how we plan to evolve it, um, is definitely through doing a lot of fun like happenings on a week-to-week basis. Chef has some really fun food items that he wants to be doing, kind of a weekly lineup of things that are offered on you know, every Monday and every Tuesday. And he's working on a few things right now just to put items he loves and really is excited about on a weekly kind of special, if you will. We also have some happenings and some partnerships coming with friends and colleagues and then doing things like movie night and specials and funds for certain games with the Astros on. So we've definitely got a lot of program work that we're going to be working into what we do over there. Just fun, easy neighborhood and just hopefully executed with a high level of quality. And then we, of course, are going to expand our hours as we grow into the space over our first month uh, and add kind of the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, more like brunch type of hours with some fun menu items here and there that we'll work into it and opening at noon on those days rather than only doing afternoon and evening. We'll open up and have a daytime presence with that patio. And again, the programming, the games, and then, of course, the, the food and beverage side of offering some different items on those days versus some of our evening offerings that we have available. So we're really excited about kind of the fun part of what we get to grow into the hours of operation over there. Well, and, and I mean, I know brunch is such a big part of, of what people like about Savor. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Yeah. Brunch in general in Houston is something that's just been, I mean, it's exploded over the past five, eight, nine years where everyone's going to brunch and every restaurant and bar, everyone's gotten more involved in doing brunch offerings. So it's really fun. Yes. The Savoir brunches, we are pretty much booked every single seat, every single weekend. We do a lot of fun events as well. Um, and so it's something where people knowing and already having, you know, a full restaurant across the street, people having, and honestly, a lot of people leave and they're like, Hey, where's a, where's a neighborhood bar? Where's a, co- a patio bar something we can go to. And now it's a pretty easy answer to just point across the street uh, and be able to kind of continue the day and the brunch vibe, if you will, of, you know, going from brunch at Savoir to across the street and have a cocktail on the patio or, or vice versa at the end of the day. So it's, we're excited about that. And honestly, we've had a lot of guests that have been asking like, Hey, are you going to open in the daytime? Hey, you're going to offer brunch. And so I think there's a lot of, even though there's tons of great spaces to enjoy brunch and drinks on the patio, people are always excited for something new as well to kind of work into their, you know, weekly or daily rotations of patio bars and cocktails and things like that. So it'll be really fun. All right. So, you know, you, you mentioned that you, 
you've been wanting to open a bar. You, you've got a couple ideas in mind. Obviously, you know, patents has been a big hit for you. I mean, what's what's next on the agenda? Do you have a certain style of restaurant you want to do? Do you have a, a neighborhood you're looking at? I mean, what are you what are you uh, what what's the future hold? So there's always ideas, I guess, to say, and I'm the, my personal way of looking at, you know, business opportunities is, yes, there might be projects, styles of projects I really want to do. But I'm also very big on looking at the context part of what makes sense on what type of building, how big the building, what neighborhood it's in, things like that. So, so some of it will always be opportunity based on if there's a certain neighborhood where, you know, we feel there's a need or if there's a certain building or something like that, that we really love the charm or the character of, then going at it from the perspective of what fits and what makes sense. But as far as doing other projects, yes, absolutely. There's uh, always a want to do more and there, there might already be a couple in the works right now that I'm working on. Uh, you know, Grant Cooper always likes to tell me that he has, he has a bunch of projects at 75% and that when <laughs> he finds the, the right space or the right, you know, the right time, uh, he can take, he can take any of them from 75 to a hundred pretty quickly. And, and it sounds to me like you're kind of in a, a similar mode. Absolutely. There's, there's definitely tons of things that we've got a very talented team and a lot of people that, we, that I get to work with on a daily basis that are just fantastic at what they do. And so, yes, we've, there's a lot of projects that we talk about on a daily basis. And some of them even have like little pseudo names like, well, we can't wait to open so-and-so and we'll reference that project that we've been talking about. But you know, a lot of it is timing. And then a lot of it is just the opportunity for the right space, the right audience, and has to make sense overall on, you know, don't want to put a, you know, fine dining restaurant in a neighborhood that can't support that or doesn't want that. And you don't want to put a cocktail bar somewhere that it's just not needed. So definitely have a couple of you know ideas always floating around and concepts we'd like to open. And then, you know, right now, always looking at spaces and always looking for opportunity and meeting with people across the city. And then we've got two spaces or two, two concepts rather that are technically, I guess, already in the works. So there'll be a little ways out though. I, I don't suppose you're going to break any news with me and tell me, tell me what they are. <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet, but there'll definitely be uh, some news on those two, hopefully in the coming months, but working on some of the details right now before I'll put it out there. All right. Well, fair enough. I, I got to say, Brian, that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something you want to discuss that I haven't asked you about? Uh, I think we hit on all the stuff with Savoir, with Patton's, with the new addition of, you know, Heights and Co., the cocktail bar. So honestly, overall, it's been fun. I think the only thing just to kind of, you know, top all that off with is we're super excited as we're moving forward and, you know, continuing to always build our team. We're going to be expanding Patton's a little bit to the hours of operations and potentially even a really fun brunch offering that we've got some ideas on just because we've had a lot of guests that have loved the experience but you can only get into patents on thursday friday saturday evenings right now so we're looking to expand the hours of operation just to be able to offer that experience out there a bit more we're really excited to offer our full lunch at savoir that was actually something that we were a week and a half into launching when COVID hit so we very quickly closed our lunch hours and have kind of been waiting for the right timing and opportunity as we built our team back up and got everybody, you know, kind of clicking in the right way, you know, two years later now that we're super excited to be adding lunch to the hours of operation at Savoir as well. And then of course, adding those hours at Heights and Co for the patio cocktail bar, we'll be doing brunch and the daily and weekly kind of programming and offering. So we've got some really fun things coming up to be adding to the operations that are already up and coming. And then maybe here in a few months, we can be talking about the next two projects as well. <laughs> All right. Well, before I let you go, 
We have to play the lightning round. Five <laughs> easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Brian, I know you're a wine guy. So my first question is, what is your favorite varietal? Uh, honestly, I probably drink the most is Italian red and Brunello or Amarone right now. And that is, <laughs> I'll give credit to my beautiful fiance and that's her favorite wines to drink. So we drink a lot of Amarone and a lot of Brunello and I have no problem with that being her favorite. <laughs> All right. What is the first band you saw in concert? Oh goodness. Probably like the black keys or something. I'm not a big concert guy. So I didn't go to a lot of concerts as a kid. I think my older brothers dragged me to a concert when I was a young kid, but I honestly can't even remember what it was. <laughs> All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through The easy cop out to that is French fries. Anybody who knows me loves it. Or anyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love French fries. And so I can always eat French fries. And if I can get French fries with a glass or a bottle of champagne, even better. <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, goodness. Favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, oh, my gosh. I don't even have an answer, I think. There's so many great histories. I, I really appreciate back at the history part of Surprise. So some of those, sadly, I, I'm going to cop out and say I don't have an automatic answer right away ready for you. All right, fair enough. I, I strike out with that question probably about one every five podcasts, so that, that's all right. <laughs> and, then, and then finally, what is the newly opened Houston restaurant that you are dying to try but haven't been to yet? How far is newly open meaning? I, I leave that up to you. What's on your list? Um, so on the list right now. So I haven't been to a few spots, I guess. I haven't been to uh, the the Tonight Tomorrow that's at the Colum Door. So I haven't mm -hmm. been over there yet to try that cocktail bar and the restaurant that's over there. And then what else is what else is new that's opened recently? I've been so busy the last couple of months. I feel like I've kind of missed some of the news on what's new and I haven't really gone. What Give me a couple of new names that have opened. Well, I mean, in the Heights, you've got Trattoria Sofia and uh, Loro and Wild Oats, Chris Shepard's new spot. Uh, those would be in your neighborhood as, as possible places you might want to try or uh yeah probably wild Oats. i haven't been over there yet and i've seen that kind of development in in process for a while so probably i'd say pop over there and try that because i haven't been to that yet all right brian give us the the website the social media for whichever one of your concepts you want to you want to mention savor patents or heights and co yeah absolutely so heights and co being the newest one you can find the website uh, pretty easy at heightsandco.com. You've got the Instagram that is Heights and Co as well for that. For Savoir, it's SavoirHouston.com and SavoirHouston for the Instagram. And then for Patents, uh, the Instagram is honestly a good one to follow on that one just because all the, the ambiance photos are great. And that's Patent Steakhouse. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time, Eric. Great chatting with you. Always good seeing you. Stopping by this last weekend. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.